I got a question for you as we get off, uh, started off tonight. How many of you in this room have a scar? Maybe it's from a sports injury, maybe from an accident, maybe from a surgery, or maybe because you've done something stupid. You know what I'm saying? Anybody relate? Can anybody relate? What I've found sometimes is that our scars are reminders that you can't hide stupid. You know what I mean? Um, I know when I was in uh, junior in high school, I was 17 years old. When I was junior in high school, I was uh, not 17, I was 16 years old, a junior in high school. And uh, for some reason, I got this bright idea because one of my friends had did it, that I was going to burn my initial, my, na- my initial, a D, into my arm. And I was like, I want to brand myself. You know, like I was so prideful and narcissistic and into me that I wanted my initial to be branded on my body. And so I was at this party one night, and it was like the perfect set of circumstances. It was all of my buddies hanging around the perfect set of circumstances to do something stupid. You know when you're hanging out with your buddies and you just start getting crazy ideas? And so we're doing that, and to top it off, the girl that I liked was there. Now, you know, guys, when the girl that you like is there, we tend to do a few things that might be a little stupid. You know what I'm saying? So the girl I like was there, and I wanted to impress her, and I was like, tonight is the night. Now, this is before I was a Christian, and I had a little bit of liquid courage, too. And so, uh, and so, uh, uh, so I talked my friends into branding me, and so we took a coat hanger just like this out of the closet in this dude's parents' house, and, uh, and, and we, we folded the little end into a D like this, and, and, then, uh, and then we stuck it on the stove until it was red hot, piping red hot. I mean, it was like just red and, and just like a brand. And, and then they held it steady. My, one of my best friends was on this end. My brother was right here. And I was like, do it. And I'm like flexing. And they like put it in. And, and, and dude, it literally like went into my arm. Like when the scab came up, the scab went in and out. You could take a ruler and stick it into the scab. And it was a quarter inch deep into my arm. Now, let me tell you how smart I was. After they did it, I was like, yeah, do it again. And and they did, except for this time, they didn't hit the same spot. So instead of having a D in my arm, I have a funky looking O in my arm or zero for the zero that I am. In fact, I have a picture of it. We'll put it up here on the screen and you can see, uh, you can see some of my handiwork here. Yep, that's it. You see the little circle right there on my arm? I am 34 years old, and I was 16 when I did that 18 years ago, and that scar is still there. And what I found is about our scars in our lives and, and the scars that we have is that they remind us of the past. And the truth is, is that every time I'm at the beach or every time I'm at the pool, somebody will be like, hey, dude, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, <laughs> and I have to tell that embarrassing story. Now, this is what I found, and here's the truth. Every person in this room has scars. Some of your scars might be physical, but the truth is is that for some of us in this room, for many of us in this room, those scars go much deeper than physical. Maybe they're emotional scars. Maybe they're scars that come from a loss that you've had in your life, if you've ever experienced loss, or maybe they're from betrayal, and they could be betrayal from a friendship, betrayal from uh, any sort of relationship, maybe a betrayal from a parent or a sibling. Maybe, maybe it's from abandonment or neglect. Maybe it's from abuse. But what I know is, is that most of us in this room have scars in our life. And so I looked up the definition of scars. And I, there was a couple observations that kind of came out of the definition of scars. In fact, I want to throw the definition up on the screen. And I want to read it to you. And I want to show you uh, what this says. This is the definition of scars. Scars are areas 
of fibrous tissue that replace normal skin or other tissue after injury. The integrity of the scar is inferior to the normal skin. A scar results from the biologic, biologic healing process of wound repair in the skin and other tissues of the body. Thus, scarring is a natural part of the healing process. There's a couple of observations I want to point out from this definition. In fact, you can pop it back up on the screen. The first is this. The first observation is that the normal tissue is replaced with an inferior tissue. That the scars that we have tend to be make us weaker, make us more fragile. In fact, I'm a big MMA fan, a big combat sports fan. Anybody combat sports fan? Ooh. Yeah. And, uh, and so I love MMA, I love uh, all, uh, you know, the UFC and all that stuff, and, and I love watching it. But one of the things that's interesting about it is, if you know anything about boxing or anything like that, if you have been cut in a previous fight, then you're more susceptible in, in later fights to, to get cut in that fight. Because the tissue has been damaged and it's been scarred over, but it's weaker in that moment. And I found this to be true in people's lives as well. That sometimes we go through something painful in our life. We go through something emotional, something tragic, something difficult, something painful. And after we go through that experience in our life, it makes us fragile. In fact, I don't know if you know anyone like this. But they've been through something tough, something difficult in their life. And now, every decision, everything that they do in their life seems to be held hostage because of this difficult thing that happened in their life. They can't seem to move forward. They sabotage relationships. And I can give you many examples of this, but let me give you one that's, that's not super aggressive. I've talked to so many people that say, man, I just can't trust in relationships. Every relationship I get into with a guy or a girl in a dating relationship, I sabotage that relationship because I'm jealous and because I can't trust. And the reason I'm jealous and I can't trust is because I have a scar from a fat past relationship when I trusted the guy or I trusted the girl and they cheated on me. And, and so they carry that into the next relationship and the next relationship and the next relationship and they just begin to sabotage each relationship because of how fragile they are. And, and it doesn't take much to set them off. Scars make us fragile. The second observation we see is that it's a healing process. That healing takes process. It, it takes a, it's a process. It takes time. That we don't just go through something in our life and the next day, hey, man, everything's good, everything's golden. The next week, everything's good, everything's golden. You don't break your leg and go run a marathon next weekend. It doesn't work that way. Like healing is a process, and emotional scars Take time to heal. And the more pain, the more difficult the situation was in your life, the longer the process is. And you got to have people to process that with. It's why we have life groups here. It gives you an opportunity to be able to process some of that stuff and have people to be praying for you and bearing your burdens and walking along and doing life with you. That's why they're so powerful and can be so amazing to get involved in something like that. But it's a process. It's a healing process. And this is the truth, and this is what I want you to hear tonight as we kind of hone in on what I think God would show us tonight in this message. And that is this, that what if God is up to something in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of the difficulties of your life? What if God's up to something? What if what the enemy and sin meant for evil and for your destruction God actually, in his loving kindness towards you and towards your life and who and what he thinks about you as your loving father, actually wants to redeem that, actually wants to restore that, actually wants to make that thing right 
in your life and bring healing to you. And I believe that to be true about the character of God, that God is in the business of taking things that are a mess and when his loving kindness, healing those things and putting those things back together. I believe that to be true about the character of God because I've seen him do it so many times. And, and the Bible tells us and paints this clear picture of who he is, that this is the type of God that we worship. This is the type of God that we believe in. This is the type of God that we serve, that he is in the business of healing and mending brokenness in our lives. And he cares deeply about us, that he works those tragic things out for good. That Romans 8.28 is a promise to us where he tells us that he's working all things together for good, that God works all things together for our good, for those who love him, or called, love him and are called according to his purpose. In fact, I want to show you a passage that's so challenging to me that really when you get into it, it's, it's like, wow, I mean, it's so powerful. It's in James chapter 1, verses 2. Uh, we'll start in verse 2. In fact, you got your Bibles. You can open up there, your worship center Bibles. The page number's right there in your notes. And I want to read this passage to you. We'll have it up there on the screen. And I want you to see what James says in this passage about uh, suffering and about difficulty and about trial. And I want you to see what he says the result of it can be if you persevere through it. We'll start in verse 2. He says this. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Okay, hold on a minute. Are you for real? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. When I am in the midst of a trial, the last thing I'm like doing is going, yeah, God, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for bringing this pain in my life. And he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Then he goes on, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, there's a formula here to how you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that is that you persevere through trial. That trial actually works itself in a formula to help, to help grow us up. We all want to be mature. We all want to be complete. We all want to get to a place where we feel like we don't lack anything. And what he's saying here in this passage is that there's some things that you just can't get to in your life without going through a little bit of trial. In fact, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. We hate to go through trial, but we know that it grows us up. And I'll show it to you in this way. I'm going to give you a scenario. <clears throat> I'm going to give you two scenarios. Here it is. The first one is this. And I've, I've said this scenario before. So there is a kid who... His parents are wealthy. They give him everything he wants, anytime he wants it. He actually has a maid at his house, so he never has to do chores. How many would think that would be awesome? And uh, everybody who's not raising their hand must have a maid. And, uh, and so, and, you know, and he's got a maid, so he doesn't have to do that. I mean, life is easy for this guy. Anything he wants, whatever car he wants, whatever phone he wants, anything he has, he lives a life of ease. The second guy, or the second kid, uh, grows up tough. In fact, early on in his life, he loses his mom to cancer. Painful. As a result of that, he has to help out a lot around the house and with chores and, and many things like that. They, they don't have extra income and very much money, so he has to get a job when he becomes a teenager to pay for his first car and to pay for his car insurance and to buy his first phone. And he grows up difficult. Of those two guys, which guy typically turns out the more mature and the better one. 
The first one or the second one? The second one. Now, we all know that to be true. But for us in this room, we think this way. I wish I can grow up like the first kid, but I want to end up like the second kid. We all want to grow up like the first kid, life of ease, wealthy, get whatever I want, have everything handed to me, no responsibility. But we all want to end up like the second kid. And the truth is, the reason the second kid ends up mature and complete, not lacking anything, the reason he ends up like that is because he has persevered through trial. The second kid would say, dude, I'll be honest, man, I'm mature, but there have been times in that journey as I look back, I didn't want that. And I can tell you there's many times in my life when I've been going through something in the midst of something, in the brokenness that it brought in that moment, I was like, I don't want this. I don't want to carry this. Sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years later, I look back on those moments and I say, wow, in those moments, God did some of the greatest forming things in me. In those moments of trial, in those moments of pain, he did some of the greatest forming things in my heart, in my soul, in my mind, in my character and who I am, that I wouldn't trade it for anything. That God is in the business of taking broken situations and redeeming them for our good. That in trial and in suffering, God can build up character in us. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. He says this, he says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, or we rejoice in our sufferings. The same thing that James says. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Same word. Perseverance produces character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. In other words, notice what he says. Persevering through trial, through suffering, builds character. And so there's a few things I want us to understand because I want to talk a little bit about God's healing and suffering. And, and I think there's a few things we need to talk about in that. And here's the first one. I'm gonna, if you're taking notes, you can write this into your notes. We have them there uh, on your um, little worship guides. And here it is. The first, uh, first point I want to tell you is this, is that we understand God's healing by understanding God's perspective. We understand God's healing by understanding God's perspective. Now, I go to school lunches from time to time, and I was at a school lunch uh, man, this has been several months ago, and I'm hanging out at this school lunch, and the, the table I was sitting at, a lot of the students started talking smack about how terrible the food was at their school. Anybody got terrible food at your school lunch? And they're talking smack about the, the food at their school lunch and all this kind of stuff. And, I, and it started getting pretty intense in the conversation. And one of the students still was like, yeah, and I'm mad because my mom didn't give me an extra dollar to buy some ice cream. Now, whose mom gives you an extra dollar to buy ice cream at the cafeteria? You know what I'm saying? Man, y'all's moms are, man, that's bad, man. What's wrong with your parents? I need to talk to your parents, you know what I'm saying? My mom used to always give me an extra dollar to buy some ice cream. And this kid's complaining about that, and, and people are just kind of complaining around this table. And then this kid says something, and it just like, it like strikes me. He says this. He says, I would rather starve than eat this trash. That's what he says. Now listen, that is coming from someone who has never experienced starvation before. See, twice the population, two times the population of the entire United States will go to sleep tonight without having put one piece of any type of food into their stomach. Some a billion people with nothing to eat today that would kill to have that meal that you're getting to eat in that cafeteria that you don't like. What happens is, is that our perspective is so small. 
We see the world through our experiences. We see the world through what we've been through, through our suffering, through our joys, through our, through our studies, through the things that we've been through and experienced in our life. And the things we've experienced are finite. The knowledge that we have is finite. It's small compared to all the knowledge and all of the experience that are out there and that are possible. And it's important to understand that God has the greater perspective. God's perspective is greater. God is not finite. God is infinite. God is not limited in his knowledge to what he studied and learned and seen on TV and had conversations with his friends about. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows all the information, anything that was ever thought of and even conceived. God already knew about it before it was even thought of and conceived. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. God has the greatest perspective. I'll give you sort of an analogy to help you understand this. Just just pretend for a minute. Humor me for a minute. Let's pretend you're a parent. Pretend you're a parent. And pretend that's your kid. Now that's my daughter, Abby, who turns two years old tomorrow. She's precious. Keep that picture up. Now let's just pretend for a minute. Everybody's going to pay attention because of the picture. They aren't even looking at me. Pay attention right here. And, uh, and so, um, and so <laughs> they're looking at the picture. Oh, she's so cute. I don't care what that guy's saying. Um, and so... And so let's just pretend for a minute that you're a parent and her two-year-old birthday's tomorrow and, and there's a fair in town. You decide, I'm going to take my daughter to the fair. She loves to be happy. She loves to play games. She loves to be around people. My daughter loves music. And, and so we're going to take Abby to the fair. And so you're the parent and you take her to the fair and you're walking through the fair and you notice that there's this area where they have all of these exotic animals. And you know, like I know, that my daughter Abby loves animals. I mean, if you bring a dog around, uh, you know, or any kind of animal around, like she freaks out. She starts going, <laughs> just like that. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and, and, and she goes, roof, 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 doggy, doggy, roof, 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 roof. It's awesome. And so she's doing that. And, and, and so you take her there, and she loves stuffed animals and everything else. And, and so you take her there, and you're walking by the exotic animals, and there is a massive cage, and inside of the cage is a full-grown adult male lion. Now, as you're standing there and you're talking and, and you're talking, you know, you start talking to your spouse or you're just kind of hanging out or you're looking around at the fair, what are we going to do next? Little Abby is like, ooh, cuddly thing. And she starts walking towards the lion cage. And she gets to the lion cage. Now, here's the truth. Abby's two years old. She can't read all the signs around the cage that say, danger, stay back. You know, uh, will eat you. Uh, she can't see all those things, right? And the lion's licking his lips. Like, Abby's about to be a little morsel in the, in the lion's tummy. And so she's walking up there, and you're not paying attention. And Abby's like, ooh, got a lead thing. And she's reaching her hand out for the cage. And at that moment, you turn and you look at her, and you see her reaching her hand out. And you do what every good parent would do. You do what? Freak out. That's what you do. And so you run over and you grab her right before she reaches her hand in the cage. The lion's disappointed. And you pick her up and you, you, you pull her away from the cage. And what does she do? I'm going to tell you what she does. She starts to scream her head off. And Abby throws a temper tantrum. And she's kicking and she's squirming and she's fighting. And she goes, because uh, 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 Abby does that. And she's like, uh, uh, uh. and you're like, no, Abby, no. And Abby, in her mind, thinks that you are punishing her because you are not giving her what she wants. But you know as a parent that if you give her what she wants, it will hurt her far greater than if you withhold from her what she wants. 
And sometimes, students, I'll tell you that we're going through stuff in our life and we think that it is suffering and we think that God is punishing us and we think that God is against us and doesn't want us to have what we want to have. And God's saying, if I give you what you want, it's going to be far worse. That what if God isn't punishing you? What if he's protecting you? See, sometimes we just need a little bit of a perspective shift when it comes to understanding God's healing, understanding suffering, understanding how do we handle these things. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth is that the gap between God's understanding and my understanding far exceeds the gap between my understanding and Abby's understanding. That if I, as a father, know how to protect and give good gifts and care for my daughter, how much more does my heavenly father know how to protect and give good gifts and protect me? And that is the loving kindness of God. That's who he is. That's his character. The second thing when it comes to God's healing is to understand God's healing, we must understand God's participation. We must understand God's participation. This is a big deal. The inception of pain and suffering did not start with God. It started with man. God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and he gives them all of these options and tells them, you can eat from all these trees, but there's one tree that you cannot eat from. God did not set them up to fail. But the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and they went against God's plan, and they ate from the tree that he told them not to. And as a result of that, sin entered the world. Pain entered the world. Disease entered the world. Sickness entered the world. Death entered the world. That the source of those things does not come from God. They come from our disobedience to God. Because our sin cannot be in the presence of God. And I want you to know that when that happened, it did not please God. And I want you to know that it hurt God. That it hurt him. That it broke his heart that man disobeyed him. Now I'm talking about Abby. Let me tell you something else my Abby loves to do. She loves to jump on the couch. She loves to dance. She loves to jump on the couch. Those are her two favorite things. And she gets on the couch and she's like... All over the couch. Now, she's two, so her balance isn't all that great. And she'll jump, and then she'll just, like, crash into the couch. Now, I don't like my daughter jumping on the couch for obvious reasons. She's small, and that's a long fall down for a little kid. And so I'm like, Abby, stop jumping on the couch. No jumping. No jumping. Stop jumping. Sit down. Sit down. You want to sit in timeout? And then she gets up, and she goes and sits in timeout (laughs) by herself. And she just sits there in timeout looking around. And whatever, I walk around the corner, I said, you don't have to sit in timeout. I just said, if you don't stop jumping, you're going to sit in timeout. And she looks at me, and she's like, <laughs> and she just sits there. And, and so, and so I, you know, I'm threatening her, all this kind of stuff, you know, because I know that if she falls off that couch, she's going to get hurt. So Sunday, Megan and I, Sunday afternoon, late afternoon, we're at our house. We're downstairs, we're talking, to eat. my wife and I are talking to each other. And we look over, and Abby's over there, boing, 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 jumping on the couch. Abby, sit down. She sits down, waits until we start talking again and not paying attention to her. She starts jumping again. And as she's jumping, she loses her balance, and she hits the arm of the couch. And she hits the arm, and it goes, and right on her head, smack, right on our hardwood floors. Now, I've never moved so fast in my life. I run over, I scoop her up, you know, and she's like, and she's crying like, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever seen a baby cry where, like, nothing comes out. Like, she's like this. 
it's like nothing's coming out. Like she's so upset, you know. And I pick her up and I'm like holding her, you know. And I'm like, oh, baby, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? And I'm feeling her head, making sure she's okay, you know. And, and I'm like kissing her and I'm like, oh, God, I love you so much. Are you all right? And I'm, I'm holding her. And I'm just going to tell you right now, dude, it crushed me. Like my heart hit the floor when my daughter fell off and hit her head on the floor. And I hurt. I hurt that my daughter hurt. I mean, it broke my heart that she hurt. Now, here's the deal. I told my daughter not to jump off the couch. I told her, or jump on the couch. I told her that if you jump on the couch, you might fall off and bust your head. I told her that that's what was going to happen. You know what I didn't do? When she fell, I didn't go, well, I told you that's what was going to happen. Should have listened. I bet you will next time. Pain's a powerful teacher, isn't it? <laughs> Go cry to your mama because your daddy don't care. Right? No. I, I didn't say that. Right? You know what I think is interesting? God looks at us in the same way. Sometimes our pain's self-inflicted. Sometimes we deal with stuff in our life. You know what God doesn't do? God doesn't say, hey, I told you. Not to get in a relationship with that wrong guy. You knew he didn't love Jesus. You knew the type of character that he had. You know the type of guys he rolls with. You know the rumors about him. I said in my word, do not be unequally yoked. I told you the type of guy you need to be looking for. And you went ahead and did your own thing. Hey, pain's a powerful teacher. Sorry. It's not how he reacts. When we hurt, he hurts. He comes and he, he embraces us. He says, man, I'm, I'm here for you. I love you. You're my child. We see this all throughout Scripture. The Israelites are doing all kinds of things in disobedience to God, and it causes a lot of pain in their lives, and they get thrown into captivity, and all this stuff's happening. And we see in the book of Isaiah, God saying some things all throughout Scripture. I'll just give you a few examples, but in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 14, I want you to notice what God says as he's looking at his people and seeing them hurt. It says, Now I cry like a woman in later labor. I pant and gasp all at once. In other words, God is seeing the disarray of his people, the hurt of his people, and he says, I cry out as a woman in labor. Like, this pains me to see my people hurting. In Isaiah 63, 9, it says this, In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. In other words, when they were afflicted, he felt their pain. And the angel of his presence saved them. And in his love he, and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bore them and carried them all the days of old. He bore them. He carried them. When we look at the wounded, he was wounded. He loved them. He took pity on them. And I think at the root of the gospel is, the root of the message of the Bible is God taking compassion on hurting people. We live in a lost world where sin has taken over and where disease and death and, and difficulty and betrayal and loss happen. And the gospel is the good news that God sent his son to redeem all that stuff so that one day we'll be restored to him. And that stuff will not be in play. That stuff will not be in place in heaven. That's the good news. That God participates in our suffering. He understands it. That God himself came in flesh, Jesus. And he walked here on this earth, and Jesus knew what it meant to experience loss. He knew what it meant to experience loss. We know that by the time Jesus was, you know, in his adult years, his dad had passed away. He knew what it meant to lose a dad. 
Jesus lost one of his close friends, Lazarus. In fact, we get one of the shortest verses in the Bible where it says, Jesus wept. Jesus knew what it meant to experience rejection. The very people that he came to save were the same people that crucified him. He knew what it meant to experience betrayal. And Judas, Judas gets a bad rap, but the truth is, Jesus trusted Judas. They walked together, slept in the same uh, house together, ate together, spent days every single day for three years of their lives together. Their relationship was deep. It was, it was, it was amazing. In fact, Jesus trusted him so much that he put him over the treasury, and he betrays him. He knew what it meant to suffer. He was crucified. He knew what it meant to be tempted. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He knew what it meant to be tempted. He was tempted by Satan himself, Matthew chapter 4 tells us. I love what John Stott says. He says this, suffering is something that is particularly associated with humanity, with humans. It's a human thing. But the scars in the hands and feet of Jesus show us that God, too, knows what it means to suffer. That God is not so far removed from our suffering that he cannot relate, he cannot understand. Sometimes we can incorrectly think, I'm going through all this stuff and God doesn't care and God's distant or God's punishing me or God this or God this or God this and God's going, what are you talking about? This is why you need to read the Bible so you can know that God is telling you, no, I'm here, I'm near, I'm by you, I'm walking with you, I'm helping you through this, I'm here to bring healing. And when you begin to understand that God suffers with you, you begin to understand that he cares for you and you can begin to begin that healing process. Jesus even uses that word to suffer together in Matthew where he tells us in Matthew chapter 6, he looks upon the people as sheep without a shepherd. It says he was moved with compassion on them. That, word, that English word compassion comes from the Latin compati, which means to suffer together. That literally Jesus looked on the people and it says that he suffered together with them. His heart was broken for them. Man, that's so powerful if you understand that and get that. So what do I do with that? How do I apply that to my life? I think there's two things. The first is this. Gain the right perspective. Gain the right perspective. For some of you in this room, maybe tonight what you needed to hear was the right perspective. It intrigues me when I go to some of the poorest places in the world on a missions trip. And I sit there in a room with people who live in a 12 by 12 hut with dirt floors. Their houses are so dilapidated I wouldn't even put my lawnmower in it. And it's where they raise their family. They fight for every meal. It's a struggle to find clean water. And the joy that comes out of some of these people is a joy that I've never experienced. A nearness in their relationship and walk with Jesus is a nearness that I've never experienced. And I think it's because their perspective is greater than my perspective. And I think you need to gain the right perspective, a biblical perspective. Perspective on life that's different. Don't allow the pain in your life and the sufferings in your life to paralyze you and make you so fragile that you can't move on in your life. And then blame God along the way when God is the one who's sitting there as a loving father running over there trying to pick you up off the floor and hold you in his arms and kiss you and hug you and tell you that everything's going to be all right. Because that's what a loving father does. The second thing you need to do is this. The second thing you need to do is you need to give your burdens to God. 
Give your burdens to God. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 uh, says this. I think we got 28 through 30. I'm just going to read verse 20. It says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Some of you need healing. You have scars from your past. Some of you have gaping wounds that haven't even become scars yet. And for you, maybe tonight the message is for you to come to him and let him give you rest. Let him bring healing. Let him give you peace. You've talked to every person that you know to talk to about the struggle, about the suffering, about the difficulty in your life. But have you talked to God? Have you brought it to him and laid it down at his feet? Have you talked to a leader here and someone who can pray for you? Someone who can encourage you and challenge you and know that you have an army of people next to you and by you? Man, you need that. I'm going to close with this. There was a guy by the name of Dr. Dr. Brand. And Dr. Brand is a world-renowned hand surgeon, and he basically spent his life with lepers. Now, the disease of leprosy deprives its victims of, of the ability to feel pain. And so a lot of people falsely think that leprosy is a disease that, like, deforms people, but actually what happens is, is that you don't feel pain. And so, you know, uh, you're standing there, and someone runs over your foot with a car, and you don't feel it. And that deforms you, right? Or you put your hand on the stove when it's hot and it burns you, and you don't feel it burning until you smell your flesh burning. I mean, it's, it's a pretty, leprosy is a pretty intense thing. And eventually, just from injuring yourself over time, uh, you know, it can eventually take your life. And so he spent his life and much of his life uh, uh, as, a, as a hand surgeon working with, with those who had leprosy. And he wrote a book called The Gift of Pain. And he said this in the book. He says, if I had... If I held in my hands the power to eliminate physical pain from the world, I would not exercise it. He goes on and he's, he makes comments like this. He says, that he, it says that he learned that pain had a protective purpose. That he understood that pain can become debilitating when suffered with it chronically, but still he considered it too valuable to be eliminated. I want to put something on the screen. I want to read it to you. I want you to see it. And we're going to have a little time to respond in here tonight. And the band can come on up. I want you to, I want you to see this. I want you to check this out. Listen, this is what I want you to see from the mess tonight. Here it is. God loves us too much to allow us to live in a sin-cursed world without pain and suffering. Because pain keeps us from destroying ourselves and others. On the other hand, God has assured us that in his love, our hurts become his hurts, so that he is compassionate towards us. He suffers with us and carries us in the midst of our pain. I love that. He carries us in the midst of our pain. 